All right, I think we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and rock and roll here. Um, thank you so much uh, for coming. Uh, we'll, this breakout session is about uh, grace with uh, daughters and sons. And uh, let me open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the grace that you give us all the time through Christ, even uh, in suffering, as we heard so powerfully this morning. I uh, just pray that you uh, lead this time by your spirit and uh, open our hearts to uh, learn uh, what you have us learn for your sake. Amen. All right. Um, I'm very ADD, so uh, <laughs> the way I'd like to, out of my neuroses, do this, it's okay with you, kind of be the talking head slash show video clips for the whole thing, basically. And then I'll try to um, save some time for Q&A and discussion at the end. Because if we do Q&A in the midst of it, I'll just start going with whatever we talk about. And then I, you'll miss out on the great pearls of wisdom that will change your life. Uh, you know, that's in this talk. So um, anyway, so let's, let's do it that way. Um, Dave asked me this summer about doing a session about kind of grace with kids. And uh, so I just want to start out with a disclaimer. Um, and also just let you know a little bit about me. Um, Let's see, I've been married 22 years, got five kids at home, so four, four girls and a boy, and I also have an older son, and uh, that's a separate discussion for another time, but he and I are very close as well, so two sons, four daughters, and uh, I've been a failure in a lot of ways as a dad, but um, by God's grace, uh, my kids really, really love me a lot, and uh, especially like Father's Day and uh, birthdays, I see this the most, so Father's Day, I've got a a pickup truck, and I'm a big Redskins fan, diehard, so that blessed me, hearing about the Skins from RJ today, I kindred spirit there, and uh, they pimped out, I think I can say this in church, they pimped out my truck, uh, Redskins stuff, so Redskin like CD holder, Redskin steering wheel cover, Redskin seat covers, and appropriate how they've been playing the last 20 years, Redskin floor mats, right, <laughs> and uh, just because, thank you, and uh, just because they, they know I'm a Redskins fan and they just love me. And uh, another couple of Father's Days later, uh, I've got this weird thing about pirates. I think pirates are really cool. So they did like a pirate themed Father's Day. And so they gave me like a pirate t shirt, pirate mug, little Blackbeard uh, little statuette. And then they gave me a Blackbeard action figure, complete with a removable pistol. It just really doesn't get much cooler uh, than that. So all that to say is. Uh, I've been a son most of my life, as far as I know, I've got parents, and then been a dad for about 20 years. I've been in ministry for uh, 20 years as well, 10 years in youth ministry, and then 10 years uh, you know, in ordained ministry. And so a lot of, uh, like just in my own life with kids, and then listening to countless conversations with people that have either issues with their parents uh, or issues with their kids, uh, it's just sort of this thing that it hits a deep nerve with pretty much everybody. So, um, really privileged to give this uh, breakout session. Thank you, Dave. The reason I think my kids really love me, even though I'm highly neurotic and have failed so many times, uh, is that because of uh, I try to give them as much grace as possible. And uh, a book that I highly recommend is uh, Grace and Practice. If you haven't read it, I uh, highly, highly recommend it. I'll be citing from it a couple times today. Um, Grace and Practice by Paul Zoll. And in the preface, which in and of itself makes the whole book worth reading, it says this. The message of God's grace or one-way love created in me a father loved by my children. And I think, having just in my own life, 
and having listened to so many people over the years, um, especially parents of adult children, and there's just such a disconnect. There's so much resentment. There's so much tension at Thanksgiving and Christmas and graduations and wedding rehearsals and funerals and all of that, that they would pretty much go back in time and just do about anything for their kids to really love them. That that's something that doesn't ever go away. And that most people, um, as kids, even as adults, when it comes to receiving grace or favor or uh, acceptance, appreciation, admiration from their parents, that need, it never goes away, ever. So there's this uh, older lady, um, who I won't name, obviously, parishioner of ours, has been in the nursing home for about four years now. In the last five and a half years or so, I've gone to visit her every three or four months. And every single time I see her, she talks about her childhood, tells me the same stories. Every single time, she says, yes, I'm one of three girls, and my father always wanted sons, and he told me that, uh, but he did the best he could with us. Every time I see her, she says this. She's in her 90s. So that need never goes away. You know, guys in their 60s who uh, have been very, you know, quote-unquote successful, made a lot of money, uh, whatever, good career, will cry in my office because their dead father never gave them approval. And they, they know that that would be impossible because their dad's dead now. So what do I do? So this need goes really, really deep, and it doesn't ever go away. I'm going to read a little bit um, from my notes just about uh, what people have shared with me about their parents, either in premarital counseling, uh, which I always talk a lot about because that impacts kind of how you are in your own marriage, and also just pastoral counseling. Some people gush about their parents, how much they feel loved by them, how their fathers taught them to shoot a free throw or bait a fish hook or throw a curve or tie a necktie or play a D chord on the guitar. How their mothers took them on cool trips, made pancakes for them, uh, kissed them when they scraped their knee, read to them, rocked them to sleep, drove them to school, drove them everywhere, right? Cut up a lot, laughed with them. Others have shared painful things with me about their relationships with their parents. How as children they felt like an obligation or a nuisance. Or how their parents were just disengaged or checked out or workaholics or addicted to something. Some have shared with me about how their parents were simply not around or often compared them unfavorably with their friends' children so that they never felt like they measured up, or how their parents pushed them to the breaking point to excel in everything, always demanding more and more, better and better in everything they did, or how their parents were suffocating uh, in their attempts to control them, keep them on the marionette strings. Some share with me about how their parents were verbally or emotionally or physically abusive, about the nightmare of growing up in a constant state of fear, with a knot in their stomach that never goes away. And others have shared with me the darkest of the dark, where afterwards, you know, I need to either cry or go get sick in the bathroom. And, and the thing is, with the, it's, it's kind of a heavy topic, and, um, because what happens a lot of times is, uh, is these relationships are looked at, or, or the starting point is one of law. It's one of control and expectations instead of a starting point of grace or one-way love. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start out um, with some dark stuff, and then, uh, and then we'll have some not-so-dark stuff later. Okay? I want to start with a, a quote from Grace in Practice. Every time a person feels uncomfortable before somebody in his or her family, 
Every time a grown child bristles at a parent's advice, it is the law and its wounding persona. You start out as a parent with high hopes of controlling the environment of your child, but your control is resisted. If it isn't, you haven't noticed. All right? Control gives birth to its opposite. So many cases of extreme adolescent rage I've observed in ministry, so many cases of suicidal behavior among teenagers uh, in relation to eating have issued from a type A controlling home. Both in theology and in everyday life, the law results in its distorted underside, resentment, passive-aggressive behavior, protest, hospitalization. So again, that, that's sort of the, uh, the law-based approach to relationship between uh, kids and their parents. At the risk of being grossly oversimplistic, but uh, I'm very kind of simple-minded, so I like things very simple, uh, there, there tends to be um, uh, four kind of defining or overall kind of moods or atmospheres for a home. Homes tend to be either uh, kind of overall either sad, mad, glad, or scared. Sad, mad, glad, or scared. And so most houses, you know, there's a little ricochet. I mean, every house, every family is dysfunctional, so it's good to just know that. It's always a matter of how much and to what degree, but every family is dysfunctional. So if yours is, so am I. I've joked with uh, people that if my kids go to counseling for at least a couple things differently than I had to go to counseling for, then, then I'll, I'll, I'm cool with that. I'm totally cool with that, right? But again, there's, there's four moods, sad, glad, mad, or scared. And a law-based uh, relationship with your kids tends to produce a home that's sad, mad, or scared. And a grace-based starting point with your kids overall, it doesn't mean there's not dark moments, every family's got the dark moments, but overall it, it tends to produce more of an atmosphere that's glad. Now there's no guarantees, we saw in that moving testimony from Jack, uh, Jack, Jack Deere, man, that wiped me out. Um, who's probably the best dad on the planet, and there's still no, there's, so there's no guarantee, so please don't take this talk as like a formula that will guarantee anything. But what I hope it will be is uh, helpful just looking at, at these relationships um, through the, you know, the lens of law, the lens of grace. All right. We're going to start with the, uh, a video clip from Dead Poets Society. Let me just uh, set it up really quickly. Uh, it's based... Um, came out in 1989, amazing film. It's about, it's based at uh, St. Andrews, is where it was filmed, St. Andrews Prep School up in Delaware. And uh, it's about uh, the relationship uh, between an English teacher who's played brilliantly by Robin Williams and uh, some of these neurotic students that he has. And uh, toward the end of the film, one of the students named Neil, who really wants to act, but his over-controlling dad has forbidden it, but he, he signs up for this play, and he plays Puck in Midnight Summer Stream anyway. His dad finds out, shows up at the play, and that's where we're going to pick up. Better you'll be the nun. Don't harm yourself, Arnie. I do not want to. Well, I'm going to get up very quickly. Now, I must be through my mind to my heart for me meant to say about Sandy Lord. But just a friend, her love and courtesy, my finger off and being in love with me. Such separation is made on the set because the virtuous such are made. And the nice sweet man. Love me all, sweet my friend. Amen. Amen to that prayer, sir. Amen. 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 Amen.
If we shadows have a penny, <coughs> think about this in all this landed. That you have had slumbered here while this vision is disappeared. And this week and I have been no more yielding for dream. Gentles do not reprehend. If you pardon, we will mend. And as I am an honest but we have unearned love, now escape the serpent's tongue. We will make amendments tomorrow. Else the fuck a liar fall. So good night unto you all. Give me your hands, we be friends. And Robin shall restore lands. Understand why I didn't insist on the finance. 
Whatever the reason, we're not going to let you ruin your life. Tomorrow I'm throwing you from Welcome and enrolling you in Brady Military School. You're going to Harvard and you're going to be a doctor. But that's ten more years. Father, that's a lifetime! Don't be so dramatic and make it sound like a prison term. You don't understand me. You have opportunities that I never even dreamt of, and I am not going to let you know. I have to tell you what I feel. You're so much. Tell me what you feel. What is it? Is it more of this, this acting business? Because you can think. Thank you, Dave. So again, that image of uh, that's law-based parenting control. We're not going to let you ruin your life. Okay, so that's and it literally kills Neil. He later takes his life. He can't. He can't do it. He, he'll never live up to his father's expectations, and he just can't do it anymore. So again, we're going to be a little dark first, and but it will pick up later. So it's not a total downer. But again, an image of law-based parenting. Um, when I think about where to turn to for parenting tips, I often turn to Pink Floyd, uh, one of my favorite rock bands from England. And so uh, thank you for the mercy laugh, whoever gave that. I appreciate that. Um, it's a little bit of a brusque transition. So um, I'm going to read to you the lyrics from uh, the song Mother off of the 1979 classic Pink Floyd album, The Wall. And this is an image, again, of, of law-based parenting, not from father to son, but from mother to son. And it's a conversation between like questions from the son and then answers from the mom. Okay? Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Mother, do you think they'll like the song? Mother, do you think they'll try to break my balls? Mother, should I build a wall? Mother, should I run for, run for president? Mother, should I trust the government? Mother, will, be, will they put me in the firing line? Is it just a waste of time? The mother's response, hush now, baby, baby, don't you cry. Mom's going to make all your nightmares come true. Mom's going to put all her fears into you. Mom's going to keep you right under her wing. She won't let you fly, but she might let you sing. Mama will keep baby cozy and warm. Of course, mom's going to help build the wall. The son, mother, do you think she's good enough for me? Mother, do you think she's dangerous to me? Mother, will she tear your little boy apart? Mother, will she break my heart? The mom responds, hush now, baby. Don't you cry. Mama's going to check out all your girlfriends for you. Mama won't let anyone dirty get through. Mama's going to wait up till you get in. Mama will always find out where you've been. Mama's going to keep baby healthy and clean. You'll always be a baby to me. Now, I feel conflicted because, like, if, if Roger Walters and David Gilmore of Pink Floyd had had great relationships with their parents, maybe there wouldn't be the Wall album, and maybe there wouldn't be Wish You Were Here or Dark Side of the Moon, and that would just really be 
sad because I love those albums, right? So I feel a little bit conflicted there. So like, I'm sorry that you all went through this, but thanks for writing great albums out of that place, right? But again, that, that image of law base and control, you'll always be a baby to me, okay? And what did it result in? Well, a guy that has no self-confidence at all. You know, he needs his mom's opinion about everything. That, that's what results from that. Quick story, again, um, this is an example of law-based from father to daughter. So I did a wedding about five years ago in a really sweet young couple, like maybe late 20s, and uh, both had, been, had gotten married right out of college and had, had train wreck first marriages and gotten divorced, and then they found each other in med school like six years later, and we're so thankful to have a second chance. Well, um, she, uh, the bride, was one of the most like intelligent, sweet, compassionate people you'll ever meet. Um, but she was on pins and needles around her dad. So at the rehearsal, her whole countenance and demeanor shifted. She was completely on edge. And I kind of watched. I was like, I wonder what's going on. Well, after the rehearsal, the dad said, I need a moment with you. I said, All right. It was very kind of patronizing. I was like, dude, come on, man. So we go to the back, and uh, he goes off to me about how his daughter's divorce was their first divorce in their family for like six or seven generations and how traumatic it was on the family and how much stress it caused everybody. And that she really, he was really disappointed in that. And I just was like, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I didn't have a response. I mean, I wanted to say, dude, you're being a complete jerk to your kid. But I didn't because I'm a priest and you're supposed to be nice, I guess, when you're a priest, right? And so... But inside, I was like really fired up at this guy. And I was thinking, you know, what your daughter probably needed when she was probably crying at three in the morning realizing she had married an abusive jerk, was she probably needed a hug from you. She probably didn't need a guilt trip about the fact that her marriage was a train wreck. Right? So again, even with adult, adult children, that law-based expectation control, it leads to condemnation. Right? Another, uh, two more dark stories, and then we'll shift gears a little bit, okay? Uh, when I first started youth ministry, uh, I did 10 years of youth ministry. I was up in Fairfax, Virginia, and it's like my second or third Sunday after church, and I was the new youth minister, and some of the parents were introducing their kids to me in the, in the lobby, and I was like, yeah, yeah, hey, I'm trying to remember names. And one mom walks up to me, and she's literally got both her hands on her sixth grade son's shoulders. The kid's name is David. And he's staring at the ground like this. She says, I am glad to meet you. This is my son, David. David has serious issues with self-confidence and self-esteem. And I'm really, I'm not making this up. And I'm really hoping that you can fix him with this. Now, I'm like, I'm like 23 years old. And it's like, I was still like, yes, ma'am. You know, okay. I, I didn't know what to say. And this kid was so sweet, but he was so neurotic because of that suffocating and then like he just she just emasculated the kid right in front of me right so again an image of law based parenting okay gonna have one more do we have the Spanglish clip ready okay this is a, a an image of law based parenting from mother to daughter from the 2004 film Spanglish um, Taya Leone's the mom Adam Sandler's the dad Bernice is their teenage daughter starts with Adam Sandler and Bernice kind of working on homework and, and cutting up and so we'll take it from there.
these many consider responsible for the Great Depression? I don't know. Name of that. What? Okay, I got it. Hoover! image of, of law-based uh, parenting, that one from mother to daughter. You know, if you want to go to a, a teenage girl's jugular, go for her weight. Um, every teenage girl has, you know, body issues. Every single one. I've got four daughters and, you know, sometimes they come home from school, especially during middle school or so. Some of the awkward kind of years where they kind of grow out a little before they grow up and, you know, someone called them fat at school or whatever. And, um, it just cuts right to the core. The last thing kids need from their parents is that kind of, you know, your weight, your body itself isn't good enough. But you're going to do it. You're going to be beautiful. Okay? All right. There's lots of um, really high-level television shows that also give us lots of images of law-based parenting. Uh, really uh, deep shows like Toddlers and Tiaras, right? Um, Dance Moms, Breaking Amish. I watched... Gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. I watched Breaking Amish the other night. And uh, it's about these Amish kids that basically get kicked out of their house and they follow them around New York City as they buy clothes and try to see, like, 
the quote-unquote real world, you know, beyond horses and buggies and weird beards and things. And, um, and it starts out, you know, the parents are like, you know, the kid's like, I want to try some other things. They're like, get your things and go. So again, there's all sorts of images of law-based parenting. And what happens is law-based parenting produces what? Lack of confidence from the song mother produces death. We saw in Dead Poets, it produces basement self-esteem, as we saw in Spanglish. And again, with the, uh, the mom with you know, her son with no confidence, produces a, a, a brilliant young woman who actually teaches at medical school, but is on pins and needles around her dad because he's disappointed that she got divorced. That's the fruit of, of law-based parenting. Okay. So what I want to do now is... Uh, shift gears, I want to look at some images of, of grace-based parenting. Okay? So here's, um, here's one, one idea of grace-based parenting. I was talking to a mom and uh, we were talking about the, uh, the nurture over nature debate, the nur- nature versus nurture. So like if your kid, this is one of the weird things about being a parent is your kids will grow up and sometimes you'll see positive traits either from you or from your your parents or your sister or something, and sometimes you see traits from you or your and, and they oh man. <laughs> and DZ has joked with me because I'm OCD about like closing the loop, like with emails or texts or yeah. I always make sure I respond to your you know I close the loop you know. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we're good. Close. So DZ will be like just closing the loop, Dave, and he uh, pokes fun at me. Well, my son Paul picked that up for me because like I'll send him a text and he'll send me a text and. It, he always has to have the last text. He has to close the loop. So sometimes we'll see things in our kids that, like, oh, man, they got that neurosis from me. Bummer, right? Um, and, like, the nature versus nurture. Can you, can you nurture those things out of kids? And the short answer is no. So it's the idea of seeing that the nature, the weird neuroses or whatever's in kids that it's just there because it's there. Nurture can maybe take the edge off a little here and there, but it's probably not going to remove it or solve it. So it's the idea of loving them in the midst of those places anyway, giving them that one-way love, and letting them off the hook, and letting yourself off the hook of trying to quote-unquote fix uh, that neurosis, because nature will win. And this is based a lot on... Uh, RJ's talk was really great this morning and it's based on that idea of the theology of the cross instead of the theology of glory a theology of glory approach to Christian parenting is, is dare to discipline it's how to be a hero to your kids it's um, how to tra- you know, train up a child in the way they should go so they'll be you know, high performing well adjusted Christian uh, parents with great marriages and good careers and smart life choices and a good influence on their community and leaders of the church that's the goal, right? And um, that's, that's just the law. That's the theology of glory. The theology of the cross is you love your kid because you love your kid. So that means if you buy your daughter clothes, you make sure they're the right size. That means if your son really wants to act, you say, you're an amazing actor. What can I do to support? Um, it means if your kid has self-esteem issues, um, maybe that's on you. A little bit, especially if you're going to emasculate the kid in front of the new youth minister, right? So it's that idea of um, theology of, of the cross versus theology of glory. And by the way, we'll, we'll have handouts that we'll pass out during the Q&A at the end. So um, just 
FYI with those things. Okay, I want to show you, um, we're going to have some upbeat illustrations now of grace-based parenting. I think we've been dark long enough. All right, so this is from uh, the movie Father of the Bride from 91 with Steve Martin. And uh, uh, her, his daughter has just gotten engaged and just told him, and he's kind of had that initial freak-out response from the dad, like, who is this guy? No guy's good enough for my daughter kind of thing. And so she goes off to sort of sulk. And so here's what happens after that. said, um, he said, uh, if you love him so much, I know I will too. There it is. So it's a starting point of, of grace, acceptance, support. And that took care of it. 
Now let's, let's, let's play basketball and high-five each other. and Let's have fun. And that has such a beautiful, powerful image. Again, of just grace-based parenting. Um, he didn't leave her alone to sulk. He didn't leave her with the task of trying to figure out how to convince him that he was good enough for his daughter. He just said, yeah, if you love him so much, I know I will too. Let, let's play. Uh, let's see, I've got an example of grace-based parenting from, uh, from mother to son, okay? Um, Mitch Albom, I don't know if you've read any of his books. Uh, he wrote Tuesdays with Maury. He wrote this one for one more day. He wrote one of the five people you'll meet in heaven. He wrote one called Have a Little Faith. They're very kind of quick reads, very sentimental, kind of touchy-feely, so I really like them because I'm, give me a short, sentimental, touchy-feely story and I will read it, right? And uh, in this book, it's about a, a grown guy named Charlie Bonetta, and Charlie's mom has died. And for one more day means that he wishes he could have one more day with his mom to thank her for the things that she had done for him. And there's little uh, episodes throughout the book called um, Times My Mother Stood Up For Me. Times My Mother Stood Up For Me. And they're just little episodes from his childhood. His mom, his parents were divorced back when that carried a large stigma. And so his mom was kind of the lonely single mom trying to raise a teenage boy. I am 15, and for the first time, I need to shave. There are straight hairs on my chin and straggly hairs above my lip. My mother calls me to the bathroom one night. After Roberta, my sister, is asleep, she has purchased a Gillette safety razor, two stainless steel blades, and a tube of Burma shave cream. Do you know how to do this? She asks. Of course, I say. I have no idea how to do it. Go ahead, she says. I squeeze the cream from the tube. I dab it on my face. You rub it in, she says. I rub it in. I keep going until my cheeks and chin are covered. I take the razor. Be careful, she says. Pull in one direction, not up and down. I know, I say, annoyed. I'm uncomfortable doing this in front of my mother. It should be my father. She knows it. I know it. Neither one of us says it. I follow her instructions. I pull in one direction, watching the cream scrape away in a broad line. When I pull the blade over my chin, it sticks, and I feel a cut. Charlie, are you all right? She reaches for me, then pulls her hand back, as if she knows that she shouldn't. Stop worrying, I say, determined to keep going. She watches. I continue. I pull down around my jaw and my neck. When I finish, she puts her cheek in one hand and smiles. She whispers in a British accent, by George, you've got it. That makes me feel good. So again, an image of uh, just an episode of, of grace-based parenting uh, from mother uh, to son. She, she wants to control when he cuts himself, but she pulls back, and, but, and she's just there with him. All right. uh, a grace example from father to son. I'm going to read a really quick little anecdote from Grace in practice about a kid, a teenager who wrecked his dad's car. Rod Rosenblatt, a Lutheran theologian, tells a true story of wrecking his father's Buick 8 when he was 16 years old. Rod was drunk, as were all his friends who were in the car. The first thing Rod's dad asked him over the phone was whether he was all right. Rod said yes. He also told his father he was drunk. Later that night, Rod wept and wept in his father's study. 
at the end of the ordeal, his father said one thing. How about tomorrow we go get you a new car? Rod says now that he became a theist in that moment. God's grace became real. Right? No lectures. Grace and restoration. Okay. So what, what, what are the fruits of grace-based parenting? What happens when a father says, you know, if you love this guy, I'm going to love him too. Let's play basketball. What happens when um, a, a single mom who's, who's trying her best, and, but his, the son knows that she's present and she's got his back? What happens when uh, a kid is given that much grace from his dad? What's the fruit of that? Well, the fruit of that tends to be love. Just, I love my parents back. The idea of love begets love. Now, again, there's no guarantees. Again, you know, Jack Deere with his, with his son. Sometimes addictions, nature over nurture. Sometimes addictions are bigger than people, okay? But again, um, the tendency of grace-based parenting is to produce the fruit of love. All right. Now, with all of us, either those of us who are parents we all fall short big time. I put myself at the top of that list. And all of us as kids have parents who in one way or another fell short or fall short. I mean, no one bats a thousand on either, either end. So that's where grace can come in. So we're going to have just one more video clip. It's a short one from the film I Am Sam. And from 2001, Sean Penn plays a, uh, um, a mentally challenged dad. Uh, he's got a little girl played brilliantly by Dakota Fanning and the mom has left the scene like she just took off and so he's trying to, to be the dad and I would really if you haven't seen that movie if you want to see what grace based parenting and weakness looks like watch I Am Sam it's profound but we're just going to show one one little clip Conway it's wonderful to have you for company tonight isn't it wonderful to have Conway for company Lucy Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds great. Stay heard. Stay heard. And. Yeah. Silence. Dr. Seuss. 
he can't get to the next level. It's not going to happen. And so she says, I want to read, I don't want to read this book, I want to read Green Eggs and Ham. And he got all excited. He can read Green Eggs and Ham. Okay? So when we talk about all of us as parents fall short when it comes to grace-based parenting, um, because we're all neurotic and self-centered in our own ways, and all of us have parents who, to different degrees, fall, have fallen short and fall short of giving that to us. Um, it's that idea of approaching it from um, the grace perspective as far as... Some of you might, as parents, only be able to get to the Dr. Seuss level when it comes to giving grace to your kids. Because maybe as kids yourselves, you never got past Dr. Seuss with your parents. So the idea is, well, you let yourself off the hook. It's okay. Or if you have parents um, that can never get past Dr. Seuss when it comes to giving you grace or acceptance, um, forgiveness, hugs, affection, affirmation, they're not going to get past Dr. Seuss. Okay. They're not going to get to T.S. Eliot or Shakespeare. It stops with Dr. Seuss and okay. And sometimes just knowing that doesn't mean that you can let them off the hook because those wounds tend to run very deep. But I think sometimes just seeing it for what it is can free us up to be in a place where, okay, things really are that messed up, but God's grace is still really that good. Right? So it's that idea. Hopefully if you, like me, feel like a parent, like maybe you've done some things right, but in other ways you've, you've royally botched it, um, to give yourself some grace. And if you have parents that were never able to get past Dr. Seuss with you as far as giving you that emotional support and love, um, maybe God in his mercy can bring you to a place where you can at least begin to maybe sort of let them off the hook a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to look for just a moment uh, at Jesus' experience, his earthly experience of grace-based parenting. Let's think about that for a second. What kind of earthly parenting uh, did Jesus experience? All right. Well, believe it or not, a lot of people didn't believe Mary or Joseph uh, about God being Jesus' dad, right? Probably just didn't really happen. Um, and so even in the pregnancy, Jesus' mom gave her son grace. She had his back in spite of all the, the stigma and the rejection and the whispers and all of that. And all through, you know, being born in a barn, all the way through the childhood, grace from his mom. Okay? At the baptism before Jesus, at Jesus' baptism, before he had done any miracles, before he gave any, did any preaching or teaching, what did God the Father say out of heaven? This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. That's it. There's no if he does this, if he fulfills his mission. There's no ifs. It's just, is my son? I love him. I'm pleased with him. That's it. Go to the cross. So Mary is at the cross, just like Mitch or Charlie Bonetto's mom was with him when he was shaving. And I'm sure Mary wanted to reach out and stop her son's suffering, but she couldn't. You know, the Bible's silent about what Mary herself said at the cross. But it's not silent about the fact that she, that she was there. And RJ already brilliantly addressed, you know, Jesus probably didn't feel like he got much grace from his father in that moment. But that's over here. 
But what we see is um, Jesus himself experienced from Mary, and certainly at his baptism, the grace-based pairing in his own life. What did Jesus say about pairing? Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Think about uh, the discourse on the plane or, or you know, all of his parables. Like, what pops to mind? Not, not what Paul said about parenting, but what did Jesus say about parenting? Not a whole lot. But there's one parable that uh, I think is the, one of the gospel through and through parables where it's all about grace-based parenting, and that's the parable of the prodigal son, right? So you know the story. The father has uh, two sons. Uh, the younger one uh, wants his inheritance now, which he wasn't supposed to get till the father dies, and the father gives him what? Grace. Here it is. There's no caveats. There's no um, stipulations on how you're supposed to use it. Here it is. And, and what Jesus says is um, a few days later, the younger son gathers all he had and, and went away. So his father for a few days is, is watching this happen. First, his son insults him, give me my inheritance. Now he gives it to him. And several days of watching his son get ready to just take off. So what was going on in the father's heart? The son takes off. He blows every penny, trying to uh, satiate every lust or whatever that he thinks is going to make him feel better until he's completely broke, completely squanders everything. Probably took years and years of work and investing, who knows, for this father to make that money, and it's gone in a very short period, all of it. So the son decides he's going to try to go back home and maybe be a servant, right? He has a rehearsed speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called uh, your son. And here's where even more grace comes in. Um, he said his, his, his father, well, his son was still far off, uh, saw him, which meant what? Well, he was looking for him, okay? He saw him and was filled, Jesus says, with compassion. And then the father ran toward his son. And in Jesus' day, if you were an elderly person, you, you never ran in public. It was very undignified. So he picks up his robes and he takes off, put his arms around him, kissed him. So lots of affection. Then the son gives him the rehearsed speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says nothing to his son. There's no, uh, well, yeah, let's unpack this. <laughs> um, you can, let's, we'll have a probationary period. So you can be back for a while, but let me, we're going to have these rules and stipulations. If you can go three months like that, then we'll talk again. There's none of that. He says to the servants, quickly, like as in now, <laughs> bring out a robe, the best one. Robes were for the guest of honor. And put it on. Put a ring on his finger. Rings were son of authority. So even his authority as the son of this estate owner was fully given back. Uh, sandals. Sandals on his feet. Servants didn't wear sandals. Only children of the estate owner wore sandals. Get the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I'm going to leave out the part about the, uh, um, the fired up older brother because I don't want to get off way over there. But it's that idea of that's what Jesus says about parenting. The prodigal son, parable. Grace before, grace during, grace after, grace, 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 no catch. So um, a quick summary, and then we'll do a few, uh, 
few minutes of question and answer, and then we've got handouts that Braxton will pass around in, in a couple minutes. So again, the overall idea of law-based parenting tends to create um, lack of confidence, tends to create death, either literal or internal, uh, tends to create um, massive amounts of anxiety, depression, despair, lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem. Those are all the, the fruit, so to speak, of, of, of law-based parenting. Grace-based parenting, again, there's no guarantees, but it tends to produce the fruit of love. Or again, parents who are loved by their kids. That what if their marriage is a train wreck? You still love your kid. What if their career uh, tanks? You still love your kid. What if your kid's addicted? You still love your kid. What if your kid has a breakdown at 27? What if your kid, like Jack shared this morning, you know, is in over his head and he takes his life? You still just adore your kid because they're your kid. Okay. No catch. Uh, in the New York Times this past summer, Madeline Levine, who's a psychologist and author, wrote an uh, article in the op-ed section, one little gem line in it that I found. Children thrive best, she says, in an environment that is reliable, available, consistent, and non-interfering. Reliable, available, consistent, non-interfering. Now, none of us are always reliable or always available or always consistent, and we like to interfere sometimes, but... But that's still a beautiful image of kind of what grace parenting can look like. It's the idea of supporting kids and how God has wired them, not how you may want to rewire them. So if your kid is an artist and not an athlete, then you support him in that. Or like we saw with Dead Poets, if he really wants to act, that's cool. You're really good. Do it. Or if your kid's a scholar or an entrepreneur or really introverted, but you're like the extroverted social guru, and your kid locks himself in the room when you have the big party because it creates anxiety, then that's okay. You don't have to be my kid on display. Uh, grace-based parenting, there's lots of affection, as we saw with the prodigal son, like overt affection, hugs and kisses. There's lots of how do you feel about that questions, touchy-feely. There tends to be lots of just being available. You know, you can never schedule, at least I found, when your kid has a really bad day. You can't put it in your daytimer. This Thursday, my kid's going to get insulted on Facebook and going to need to cry on my shoulder for an hour. You don't know when that's going to happen. So it's the idea of being available. Um, lots of listening, no unsolicited advice. Unsolicited advice is another form of what? Control. Lots of forgiveness with no catch. Lots of laughter. Let's play basketball in the driveway. So, again, those are all images of grace-based parenting. I'm going to close with a couple really quick illustrations, and then we'll do the handouts and have some Q&A. Um, this past Sunday, the New York Times Magazine, there was an article about Neil Young. I love Neil Young's music. And there was this little vignette about um, his 34-year-old son, Ben, who has cerebral palsy. He's a quadriplegic. He goes on every tour with Neil Young, with his dad. Everyone. Neil Young says this, He's our spiritual leader in that way. We take him everywhere. And he's like a measuring stick for what's really going on. And then just one more image of kind of grace-based parenting where there's, there's literally nothing that can come back. A few years ago, someone emailed me an inspiring video from God to which, which at first I was like, oh no, don't, please don't send me those. It's so cheesy. 
but um, I felt guilty about not opening it so I could reply, thank you for sending that to me. Right? And so <laughs> you all know the feeling like, oh, I'll give this five seconds. Yeah, it was really funny. Thank you. For and so, um, so I watched it, and it really messed me up. Um, totally caught me off guard. It was like a, a montage of a father probably in his maybe late 40s-ish uh, completing a, an Ironman triathlon. An Ironman triathlon is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and, and then a full marathon, 26.2 miles. Doing this with his son, who suffered from cerebral palsy. So it's images of him pulling his son in a raft, pulling his son in, a, in a, like a stroller or a um, little scooter kind of thing behind the bike, and then pushing his son in the stroller for a whole marathon. And his son is grinning the whole time with his arms full. And at the finish line, you know, there, there's water and there's laughter and there's hugs because there's, the son just wanted to really be with his dad and his dad just loved his son and I'll take you with me. And it's a great image of how God is with you. So whatever weaknesses in life mean, lots of them, wherever you fall short, either as a parent or wherever your parents fell short with you, that God's mercy will carry you through and he loves you right in that brokenness. His grace is more than enough. So again, um, grace-based parenting, there's no guarantee, but it tends to produce houses that are glad rather than sad, mad, or scared. That's what law-based parenting uh, creates. Okay, Braxton, do you mind getting some handouts going? And um, I'm sorry, I guess I've gone a little over, but we could do a couple minutes of Q&A if anyone has any, wants to bring up anything. Thank you for letting me be a talking head. I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, there's a place to, to say no. There's a place for boundaries. I think what I want to really emphasize is the starting point. So the starting point of grace, love. So it's, it's really for their best interest rather than the starting point of I'm going to live through my child, I'm going to control my child and steer your life. So I think for me, of course, there's a place for rules and boundaries and you know, curfews, whatever that might look like in your family. But... For me, it's, it's about starting points. Um, that sets the tone for everything that follows. So maybe the idea of a starting point of grace as opposed to a starting point of law or control. Does that make sense? Yes, right. Other uh, questions or thoughts? or Yeah. Um, I was just wondering about your Do you have enough testosterone in your house? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Well, I didn't have the, I just wanted your reactions. Um, there were instances where uh, sometimes they're, it's just, they're cruel to the youngest sometimes. And, and, and one of them just flew my life. And I was, it was actually bad for us having dreams about it. And in the dream, they, uh, finally, they wouldn't stop, they weren't minding me, they weren't listening to me to stop, like, emotionally torturing her, my young son. And so finally, I pulled out a gun and I held it to his head and I said, you're going to stop doing 
right? And it's like Star Josh, you know, to all that. And um, so finally we had a family meeting, and I shared the journey, you know? And I said, look, I'm really, really, really angry that you're treating me like this, right? And they said, I'm not going to hold it on you, but you should realize that you are worthy of death for doing this, and someone died in your place. And to me, that, that's kind of grace, because it's like, I'm not going to try to stop you or control you, but I'm not going to marginalize the fact that you're really harming my own son here, and he's important to me. You know, his suffering means a lot to me, and you're producing it. You know, I love you too, but... Right. So, um, are you asking that what? Yeah, I mean, do you think that's right, or do you think I was... Well, it's not bad. If you ever want to know what your parenting is up to far, please ask me, and I will let you know. Um, yeah. Yes, it passed my litmus test. Um, you know, all of us as parents, you know, we navigate as best as we can. And so I think, you know, in, in Galatians especially, there's that paradigm of law, gospel, Holy Spirit. So instead of law, gospel, law, where here's the formula to how to be a parent, it's law, gospel, Holy Spirit. Well, hopefully the Spirit will lead you and show you how best to love your kid in your context. And there's nothing harder are more stressful than A, watching your kids suffer and sometimes B, suffer at the hands of your other kids and it doesn't stop. Um, I've got four daughters and two of them, like several of them get along great, but there's two that they just, sometimes they just won't stop pushing each other's buttons. It doesn't matter what I say. And sometimes it's like I just totally fail quote unquote trying to fix it or solve it. Um, so I think, you know, sharing that dream with them um, and someone dying in the place, you know, I think, again, I don't know whether it was right or not necessarily. I think you would know in that context, but it's the idea of hopefully letting the Holy Spirit lead you the best way to love your kids in that setting. Um, and everybody's got their own like stressors and especially dysfunctional tones or whatever with their kids. Yeah. So, yeah. We had an example in the public society of a father who's going to make his son go to Harvard. We have the example of Steve Martin, who says, if, I, if you love him, I'm sure I will too. If you're Father Day, how do you know Father Day? Oh, uh, that's your yeah. years experience, and we'll just test you this on <laughs> Let me Let me tell you how to be Jedi. Um, <laughs> speak Yoda. Um, that's something that we got. And I think it's the idea where, and again, in, in grace and practice, where, where I think hopefully the Holy Spirit brings you to a place where you know that as your Heavenly Father, God loves you like, like the Father and the prodigal son. That God loves you like Steve Martin loves his daughter. Like that, that really is how God loves you. There is no catch. That once that, that truth starts to seep in, and I know in my own life it took years for that to happen, it's still seeping in. There's still days where I think, ah, it's too good to be true. But I hope it's true because it's like a lifeline, right? It's how I feel sometimes. But I think it is true. That's why it's the gospel. I think it takes a while to seep into our hearts. And, but that's something that only God can do. Um, shifting us from, a, you know, Neil, Neil's dad and dead DPS to um, Steve Martin and Father of the Bride. I think that's the work that the Holy Spirit can do over time and again there's no guarantees and, and some people again go into the I'm Sam clip some people it's not going to happen there's just too much 
But it doesn't mean that the Heavenly Father doesn't love you in that way, and it doesn't mean that it's not possible over time, maybe, to have at least a little bit of transitional here from A to B as the, as the Lord bears that fruit in your life. But the burden's not on you to try to hear the steps to make that happen. I think it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense at all? Any other uh, questions? Or th- yeah. very much. Yeah, and I feel I feel clueless more than I feel like I've got it. I mean, please hear that. Even last night, I got home from the pre-Mockingbird pre-game party and uh, drama as soon as I walked in the door with two of my kids and I was just frying. I was like, I love you and I affirm you and you all need to figure this one out. I'm going to bed. Uh, that was my <laughs> so that, that was what I had in the tank zip. So, um no, thank you for sharing that. And yet, and it's in those moments of what do I do in this situation? And hopefully, the Holy Spirit in time will, will bring us to a place where we can give law, you know, grace. Or if it is boundaries and law, but it's from the starting point of grace in those moments. Maybe one more. Um, yeah. One thing I've always said that I've found from my point of view is every parent does the best they can mm-hmm. with what they have at the time. Whether you're trying to forgive your own parents. Mm-hmm. or whether it's something you're doing or maybe what your kids are doing with theirs. Mm-hmm. And a book I would like to recommend to everybody that is just out uh, not too long ago called Fearless. And it's about a young man who became a Navy SEAL, uh, was a great kid, and then he got in with the wrong people, got into drugs, how his parents treated him. And it's from the point of his friends that he had in high school, that his parents uh, gave the story, and also his Navy SEAL buddies, which he came, he got into being a Navy SEAL after he'd been a drug addict. He was up to go into prison, and just it's a whole story of love and redemption through the whole thing, and it is a mar- and it's a true story. What's the name of the Fearless. Fearless. Excellent. I recommend it to everybody. It's one of the best books I've read. Outstanding. And I'll close with what you brought up at the beginning of that comment, the idea that I think overall parents do try the best they can. And it's the idea, too, it's hard to get what you haven't received. So it's hard. If you grew up in a very law-based, controlled environment, even if you really want to maybe have a grace-based parenting with your own kids, sometimes it's hard. And I think, again, it's that idea of God's grace to you maybe bringing you to a place where you can let yourself off the hook, let your parents off the hook a little bit, although that, that's really hard. And, uh, but just you know, keep in mind how God's grace toward you is like the father to the prodigal son, like that. So, can I say a closing prayer? Thank you all so much for coming. Lord, thank you for uh, the, the grace that you give us all the time. And we just pray that by your spirit, 
uh, you pour out healing uh, in all of us where we've fallen short as parents or maybe where our parents fell short with us and to supply your, uh, your bond in these places in our hearts. And we pray that you would give us grace, especially as we talked about in those day-to-day decisions of what to do and how to handle this particular thing. And uh, we just thank you that you love us all the time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thank you all for coming. Thanks for Just great.